and welcome to Podventures in Odyssey. I'm Emily. And I'm Tatiana. Every week, we re-listen to an episode of Adventures in Odyssey, then sit down to recap and discuss. We are going in album order, and today we are in album three. I keep thinking we're still in album two. <laughs> it's so wild to hear you say album three! Yeah, I had to take a moment there and think. <laughs> we're in album three. Uh, on episode... What is the episode number, actually? The episode is The Shepherd and the Giant. It's the fourth one. It's the fourth one that we're doing. It's the fourth one in the album according to, like, the current... According to Odyssey Clubhouse. Yeah, according to the Clubhouse. The application. The online version of the albums. So The Shepherd and the Giant is a biblical history episode. Mm-hmm. Proto-imagination station, yeah, also. Yeah, like, more, more um, explicitly so. Because the last time we had a history episode, I think was the day independence came, right? Was there another one similar? Uh, Jonah and the Whale. Oh, yeah, 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 Jonah also. That was another Bible one. So those both were just, close your eyes and let me tell you a story, and then you find yourself... No, no, they they were not both they that. They were not both one that. One of them was a dream. So we're, like, getting incrementally closer to the imagination station, <laughs> where one of them was get bonked on the head, and now you're in the past. <laughs> and the next one was, close your eyes and imagine really hard. And now finally we've arrived at close your eyes and imagine, but with the help of technology. And then soon it will be nothing but technology and Mm -hmm. there will also be visual components that are not just think of it real good. Think of it. Think of it good. Yeah, I wrote down a note later on, which is AR versus VR. (laughs) And maybe we'll we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. I also have a note I want to bring up at some point about um, people's capacity to visualize. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be interesting. I think we'll have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in this episode. I'm excited. So, uh, we start out with Wit in the Bible Room. This Mm -hmm. is another one we don't have a Chris Corner. Not really. I know. I miss Chris Corner. We had a whole theme song for it and everything. It was like a really polished part of the podcast. (laughs) Nothing else is polished. Only that. Only Chris Corner. But, um, so far, just like in album two, she's pretty much just saying, like, here's what's going on, and now let's enter the story. And I guess, like, Wit is cleaning up the Bible room, and no, no, he's no, not. No, he's not. He's making a mess. Wit is, yeah, Wit is doing the opposite. He is currently in the Bible room, and Wit's end is closed. Because I wrote down, closing time, everybody go home. <laughs> is that how that song goes? Um, the first part. I don't know about the second part. I'd have to hear it again. I don't I don't think that's actually how it goes. That's how it goes in my mind. But everybody is gone. Yeah, it's just wit, doing mm-hmm. his wit thing, mm-hmm, working mm-hmm. on an invention. I wrote down a technical gobbledygook. Yeah, he he mutters to himself about certain components being in place and then he tests it out with the headphones. And at that point, Connie comes in, so you have the, like, classic comedy of, like, someone is talking to someone who doesn't hear them, and her being like, I'm here to clean up the Bible room, it's such a mess in here, and Wit being like, oh, that is delightful. Connie's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, doesn't she say, like, "Ah, maybe delightful for you, but not for me, this place is a dump. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's hearing the the end result of his inventing, and he's very pleased with it. Which, so far as we know, is just the sound of sheep. Yeah, we can kind of hear, like, the muted sound of, like, what you would hear when you're in the same room with somebody else who's wearing headphones. Yeah. Yeah, and it just sounds like sheep. Delightful. (laughs) 
So one thing that I wrote down here, it made me laugh because Wit's like, oh, I'm sorry, Connie, I didn't hear you. I had my headphones in and he takes them off and he's like, what's going on? And it just, for some reason, struck me that it's like the teenager is here to clean the room and it's the <laughs> old person who is like on their headphones, like, I didn't hear a word you said, what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, what a reversal of like the modern situation, I guess. Modern expectations subverted. I, I think that's kind of a thing I love about Odyssey in general, is there's a lot of these role reversals mm -hmm. just scattered throughout. Yeah, because the show is not trying to... I don't know, it's not that they don't use tropes, but it's like they're writing real people, and real mm -hmm. life doesn't always fit the expectations, and so it feels very natural. So I guess Wit wants to show Connie his invention. Is that right. what's going on? I think what happens is that she she's she wants to clean the room and the invention is what's scattered all around making the mess. And so it like naturally comes up in conversation that he's like, I'm just about done with this exciting thing. And I think she says something like, whoever said inventing was a clean profession or something, or does Wit say that? <laughs> like nobody ever said inventing was a clean profession. I don't know. I ought to take notes on my computer because I can't write fast enough, so I'm missing entire chunks of this episode. <laughs> so much was flying by us. But basically, he, he explains it to Connie as, like, what we would now think of as an augmented reality experience. Yeah, it's like, you listen to this stuff on the headphones while a story is being told to you, and it, like, gives you an experience of place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's called the Environmental Enhancer, which really sounds to me like just sound effects and music. I think that's all it is. I think he's, he's mostly just mixing tracks. I don't know if it really counts as an invention. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sounds like he's just, like, mixing a track for him to tell a story over. Yeah, and this also made me wonder, does he have to be present to tell the story, or is the recording telling the story, too? Because right now what we're talking about is the invention of Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> you know, just people telling a story. <laughs> With music and sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was real to me as a kid, so clearly it works. But, I mean, th as the rest of the episode plays out, it's, like, a little bit more extreme than your average experience, so who knows what else is involved. It seems like just headphones. It really does seem like just headphones, but everything kind of has this sort of, like, I don't know, magical quality mm -hmm. in Wit's End? Yeah, that's true. It's the magic of Wit's End. The magic of imagination. Mm-hmm. Station. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I don't really have anything to say about AR versus VR. It just, like, it popped out to me as being like, oh, we have a word for what this is now. Whereas I don't know if they did back in the 80s or if it was, like, as widely known a term. But, like, augmented reality is something, like, that adds certain elements, like, uh... Sensory elements like either vision or sound or touch or something or to smell. yeah or smell like something like that to the experience of a place. Disneyland is full of this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, like lots of theme parks will have augmented reality where it's like there is some element for the senses that is being manipulated, and it like you know in a fun way, kind of like they have. Um, if you've noticed when you walk into different parts of Disneyland, 
uh, different parts of the park smell different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's because they are deliberately pumping out this sort of, like, essence. Yeah, like a, yeah, for just a subconscious sort of experience. So that's augmented reality, and then you've got virtual reality, which is more like what the imagination station is eventually, which is a, like, fully immersed experience. And there are all kinds of, like, commercial devices for that now. Is this interesting at all? <laughs> Audience, please. <laughs> Listen to us talk about virtual reality and have actually nothing to say about it. I think virtual reality gets a bad rap. Oh, you think so? Yeah. How so? Um, maybe more so in the 90s than now, but there was a lot of fear over, like, people will just spend all their time in this virtual place and never want to interact with real life again. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And that's, like, a popular sort of... Um, there's, like, a number of science fiction stories about variations on that possible future mm -hmm. of it being like yeah it's almost always dystopian but i feel like i feel like we're very far away from virtual reality being good enough to, to actually replace reality mm -hmm. although that does bring up the point that there are um online like multiplayer video games uh, i'm thinking of things like second life or things, like, there are games that oh. people can, like, I mean, you can spend real money on a virtual character and it's not VR, like, you yourself are not plugged into this Matrix style, but, like, you can emotionally invest in these alternate realities, digital realities. <laughs> and some people very much are, and it's more important to them than real life, but that's not, like, an epidemic. No. But then you do get uh, Adventures in Odyssey episodes addressing these very things. Yeah, later on. Mm -hmm. Much later. Mm -hmm, much later. And not very many of them. I can only think of two. Right. So, yeah, the Imagination Station is not really meant to be... It's not really meant to serve that kind of function in Adventures in Odyssey. It's mostly mm -hmm. supposed to be for fun. And it is very fun. I can't wait until we have it. Mm -hmm, me too. Okay, so... Uh, Onward. Onward. Uh, I guess this is the point where Wit lets slip that this is for Bible stories specifically, mm -hmm. and Connie's immediate reaction is, oh, more Bible stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, meh. And I think Wit is like, what does he say in response to that? Uh, well, she kind of, he wants to know, like, why does she not think that it would be interesting? And she mm -hmm. thinks that there are other stories that could be more exciting than Bible stories. That's right, yeah. She's like, oh, there are way better things you could do than the Bible. And Wid is like, bet? Yeah, bet me? <laughs> yeah, so he kind of, he gets Connie to listen to it, which is like, fair is fair. And she agrees to try it out kind of reluctantly. I think she's like, well, I gotta go clean up the room. And he's like, well, are you afraid that you'll like it? And she's like, hmm. So she listens yeah, to it. Yeah, he razzes her. Yeah. <laughs> they have a fun dynamic. Mm -hmm. They do. It's really great. It was funny to me when she puts on the headphones, the sound of the sheep is incredibly loud and scares yeah. her. And just a minute. Let me flip this switch. Oh, I'm sorry, just a little volume problem. There, I have it now. Put the headphones back on. What? Her poor eardrums. <laughs> Protect your ears. As somebody who has done this to myself so many times over the last several years, 
just not realizing that I had the volume up too high or like having it tuned to different devices and oh my gosh, scare myself to death. Yeah. So I felt for Connie this time listening to it. It's so terrifying. And here's the question though. Does that mean Wit was listening to it at this awfully loud volume? I know, didn't, that didn't occur to me, but I feel like he must have uh, bumped the volume or something. In between the time when he was listening and being like, this is delightful. I'm like, I mean, it would explain why he couldn't hear Connie over the headphones, because I was like, wait, how is she actually going to hear you tell a story if you can't hear anything through these headphones? Her fresh teenage ears. (laughs) Maybe Wit just has, uh, maybe Wit is just hard of hearing. Yeah, and we never knew until this episode. Well, I have a feeling it maybe got bumped or something. I don't know. The story, though. Oh, yeah. The story. (laughs) You may have guessed from the title. Right. We're in a story called The Shepherd and the Giant. Does Wit frame it for her at all? Or does he just kind of be like, look around you and see where you are? I think he... He does frame it a little bit of, like, describing where she's at and that there are sheep in the field. Mm -hmm. And then she notices David standing on a distant hill. And I'm like, how do you see him? Yeah, it's interesting. That's all the interesting thing about this episode is that it is very, like, imagination-driven, like, from Connie's perspective. It must be, like, a kind of hypnosis or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, because otherwise I don't know how... How is she seeing anything? I mean, when somebody tells you a story and you close your eyes and really immerse yourself, I think your mind kind of fills in details. And if somebody is like, you look and you see a shepherd, like when they tell you to look, your mind will kind of fill in the blanks with details. Somehow, I guess Connie's mind put David like on a hill nearby and she goes over to him. I don't know. Yeah, this actually was interesting to me when I listened to this episode as a really little kid also. And I kind of just accepted it, but it always was, like, kind of stand out to me. Like, different from the Imagination Station episodes, where it's like, it makes sense that you would be immersed inside of a machine, versus just listening on headphones. It kind of makes me wonder if this is the episode where they realized that they needed something like the Imagination Station for the stories Mm. they wanted to tell to make sense, because augmented reality, unless you have props, Mm -hmm. there isn't really a visual element. Unless it's Pokemon Go. (laughs) That's augmented reality. (laughs) It has a visual element. The prop. The the phone is the prop. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the phone is the prop. But so far as I can tell, there wasn't like a scene, like a diorama set up in the Bible room of the pasture Mm -hmm. with the sheep. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is the point where I was thinking about some people don't have the capacity to visualize. Right. Um... That's a really interesting thing to me, because I think most people do have some ability to visualize things in their mind, but then it's like one of those things that you don't realize that you have it until you consider that some people do not have that ability. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really aware of that until like a few years ago. I just stumbled upon that information online. Yeah, because some people have like incredibly uh, acute clarity when they visualize things like Mm -hmm. they don't just visualize the things that are being described but like they create the scene around it Mm -hmm. and it's like being in like completely immersed Mm -hmm. and then I know other people 
they can only see like the things that are being deliberately described and everything else is in kind of a haze. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it kind of from there goes down in like a grade mm -hmm. until you just aren't picturing anything. It's just words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that's what's wild to me is that some people can like hear things described and literally not have that produce any kind of visual stimulus in their imagination. It sounds very foreign, and I feel like not everybody knows that A, that's not normal, or B, that that could exist. Because for people who have that condition, they might be like, oh, so people are literally picturing things in their mind, eh? Mm -hmm. I think, because what, what I, when I learned about it online, it was from an artist who was like, I learned that I have this condition, and she described her experience of it, and it was very interesting to hear her talk about but then compare that to something called maladaptive daydreaming, which is where you cannot turn your imagination off. That's like the other extreme. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's like being in the imagination station 24-7. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just like every whim of your imagination is like hyper-realistically presented to you. Must be difficult. Um, yeah. But I find it really interesting that that person was an artist while not being able to envision things. And she described like doing art as being like, I would know how to draw an apple because I would know qualities of an apple. Like an apple is round, an apple has a stem and things like that. Like she knew facts about it. Wow. And then was able to translate those facts into lines on the page. Super fascinating. <laughs> I would just assume that you'd need a visual reference like all the time, yeah. but I guess your brain finds other ways to store the information. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting rabbit trail. Yeah, but I think my point with that is um, I wonder what this experience would be like, augmented reality, for oh. a kid who doesn't have the ability to just visualize things. And would the imagination station even work for them? Oh my gosh. We're asking the real questions now. I do not have a real answer. I don't know how that would work. I'm very curious. I feel like imagination station would because it probably produces the visual elements itself. It it must. It's never explained. Otherwise, you'd have, when you have people going in, like, in pairs, they'd be picturing completely different things. That's true. But for something like this, where you don't have anything, like, depicting the characters or the scenes, you just have the audio elements, I imagine it would be like experiencing the story blind. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, just... Food for thought. It is really food for thought, and I am going to be thinking about it whether I want to or not from now on. <laughs> but now we have plot also, after we have the headphone jump scare that made me laugh. So Wid addresses it, and she's in the grassy field. She goes up to talk to this guy, and it is, of course, David. We know that. I think they, they introduce themselves, yeah? Should we say VAA? Yeah, we should. VAA, voice actor alert. Ooh. That's the voice actor alert now. It's, I, it became British. I don't know. Coming in from Great Britain, it's Claire. Oh, no. The voice actor alerter. <laughs> Why Claire? Because Claire is a British name to me. Oh, good heavens. Anyway. What, what I wrote down for this is chill Eugene rules. Yeah! Because basically, this this is Eugene's voice actor, and um, if you're an Odyssey person who is re-listening as we are, and you know Eugene, and you love Eugene, it was an interesting experience hearing him basically do the Eugene voice, but, like, without the 
what do you call that quality of Eugene's voice? Hmm. I would almost call it like tension. Yeah, strain. This yeah, the yeah, he has some some particular energy that he puts into Eugene's voice. And when this actor is doing David in this episode, it's basically that same voice, but just really chill. <laughs> and it was really fun to listen to. Isn't it just Will Ryan's normal speaking it, voice? I think it might very well have been his normal speaking voice. Because I know it's very similar to the mm-hmm. Eugene voice. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to an interview with him in a while, though, so yeah, we'll have to compare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Connie finds Eugene... Um, oh my god... <laughs> I know, this is just like in the other episode where I wrote down the name Donna and then I called Leslie Donna for the rest of the time. I keep looking at the words Chill Eugene and it's just going to be the story of uh, Chill Eugene and Goliath. (laughs) Episode (laughs) 10. Maybe so. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Connie finds David Mm -hmm. because she hears the harp. Yeah, yeah, he's playing the harp, and they just have kind of a nice conversation, I think, right? I think he just says, like, oh, like, I'm tending my father's sheep up here. Writing some psalms. Uh Uh-huh. And Connie's like, what? And he's like, you know, psalms, they're like poems, and she's like, wow, you write, too? And, um, does he mention God during this scene? I did not write a note about it. Uh, he might mention that the Psalms are poems to God. Mm-hmm. I also didn't write it down, though. It would not surprise me. But the one thing, I do know that he mentions God a little bit later on because, uh, drama starts happening and Connie is like, oh my gosh, a lion is trying to attack one of your sheep. Did you write down the line that I wrote down? No, I did not. <laughs> When David sees the lion, he shouts, Hey, lion, if you want to eat something, try a taste of my staff. (laughs) That is such a good line. Just like the introduction, hey, lion. Hey, lion. Yeah, he runs over there to take on the lion, and Connie is freaking out because she's like, you can't go over there. And David is like, yes, I can. Just, you wait. (laughs) Watch me. Just watch me. And he does. And um, he, like, bonks the lion, I guess, presumably. The sound mixing of the scene is really good, I think. Like, the yeah. sound effects that they chose. It's hard to hear it all, because it's distant, and I think mm-hmm. that's realistic to what's going on. Yeah, and it, yeah, that helps with the realism. It still kind of scares me, because I listened to this episode a lot as a really little kid, so I have, like, emotional attachments Aww. to this scene. <laughs> So I was, like, laying on the floor listening to it just now and being like, the lion's coming back. Because it does. It's scary. It was scary. Because he gets the lamb back and he goes, shoot, little lion, back to your mother. And Connie is like, I can't believe it. And then she's like, oh, no, David, look out. And, like, you hear the lion, I guess, roaring, coming back at him. And that's when Connie throws the headphones off Mm -hmm. of her head. That's right when David says, Lord, give me strength. It's kind of quiet because it's in the distance. Oh, yeah, I missed it. It was so quiet. uh, Yeah, he says that in the background. And then Connie is like, I can't watch and throws the headphones off her head. I can't watch. Yeah, I can't watch. Not I can't listen. So at that point, oh yeah, then she's she's there in the Bible room, and then I think Wit says, what's the matter, Connie? And she gets jump scared by him saying that to her. Yep. Which was interesting. It's like, too exciting for you? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I think she's like, um, I think we've tested it and it works really great. <laughs> like she's too freaked out to, to keep listening to it. And Wit's like, don't you want to know how it ends? And she's like, I think I know how it ends. <laughs> I think David is uh, dead now. I think he got eaten. And Wit's like, hmm, interesting take. <laughs> you sure you don't want to find out? And Connie is like, oh, okay. Give me the headphones. Connie, when she comes back in to this whole drama, is really shocked and surprised to see she's no longer in a field with a lion. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hey, what the heck? And Wit's like, well, we're past that part of the story now. She's like, what? No. What happened? He's like, yeah, I keep listening. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. It's kind of funny because it implies that, like, the, the the module of this story that Wit has created has, like, continued running, even without him telling the story. It's like, it's moved on to the next phase. Yeah. And it's like, okay, sure. I mean, like, if you leave a movie running, I guess Wit didn't pause it for her. <laughs> or maybe that's just how it's designed. To cut off abruptly when David's about to get eaten. Yeah, and cut cut to the scene of Samuel on the road. I don't know why I chose it to do it in that voice, but I liked it. <laughs> As a kid, I thought that he was just a funny character because he is doing a funny voice. And it is not until listening as an adult that I am like, I don't know how I feel about the stereotypical Jewish accents in these, like... Historical, biblical episodes? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I do not know how to feel about it. It's an interesting choice. And I don't know what you even call that voice, other than like it's like an East Coast kind of American accent. I don't know my specific accents well enough to say exactly what the actor is doing as Samuel, but it's like a very sort of like put upon silly accent that I now realize is like a Jewish stereotype. Yeah. It's hard. What accents are safe accents? None. <laughs> None? But some Technically. are. Technically. Well, I guess so, unless it's your accent. Mm -hmm. But some are, and you, you can know that within, like, your own culture. Like, in the United States, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we can kind of do some of each other's accents yeah, within, I... like, regions of the United States. I think Minnesotan is kind of safe. Yeah, Minnesotan, because they're so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. True, true. Unless you're, like, an actor and you've, like, studied it. But even then, it's, like, this person is... I don't know. There's a difference between, like, studying an accent to portray a person versus just, like... Using an accent to portray a caricature. Yeah. And doing it for comedy. But, like, they're... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird and gray. It's a weird gray area. <laughs> so, I mean, I just... And that's the thing is, when you do this in kids' media, kids learn to associate that with just being funny or being enjoyable or whatever, and now we have a nostalgia attached to it, and then that makes it complicated when we become adults. <laughs> I know that happens for, like, plenty of other things, kind of like uh, certain things at Disneyland that are, like, a little bit weird and a little bit outdated, but there's a lot of nostalgia attached to them, and then Disney changes it, and everyone is like, you can't change the thing from my childhood. Don't get rid of the tiki room. Don't get rid of the tiki room. Oh my gosh, please get rid of the tiki room. <laughs> if only because it's so scary. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that for now. <laughs> Tune into future episodes where I talk about the tiki room. <laughs> we'll never come up again. Probably not. Oh my gosh, please no. Yeah, so I guess from this interaction we gather that he's on his way to Bethlehem to a guy named Jesse. And, um... 
Connie is like, do you know him? And he's like, nope, never met him. <laughs> it's like, okay. Is he a friend of yours? <laughs> never met him. And he is going there on behalf of God. And he is going there to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. And Connie's like, I thought you just said Saul was king. And he's like, shh. <laughs> and it's like, ah, the dots are all connected now, I see. She's like, wouldn't that make Saul mad? And he's like, quite possibly. That is a distinct possibility. Right. You know what I wrote down in the very next scene that uh, Samuel sounds like? He sounds like Bartok from Anastasia. That's what it is! He sounds exactly I knew there like was Bartok something. from Anastasia. I knew there was something it reminded me of. Oh my gosh. Oh. That's it. Yeah, it occurred to me during... It's, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Anyway, we've talked enough about his voice. <laughs> um, so, uh, Connie follows him to Jesse's house. No. Does she? Uh, There's, like, a little bit of a cut. It's implied that she catches up to him at Ooh, Jesse's house. That's, yeah, that's a thing about these early pre-imagination station things is that, yeah, the way that time passes and the way that scenes change is a little bit different. And actually, I think the very first imagination station episode does a similar thing. Yeah. Where the character is not always in a time and place right. within the story. They jump scenes the way that we, the listener, would. So Samuel goes and he, like, tests each of the sons. Mm -hmm. And this is in narration from Wit. Yeah. And uh, Jesse also has, like, a country accent of some kind. Yeah. He's, like, uh, something from America. I, I could not pinpoint it other than to say that it's something that you would associate with being, like, a country farmer. Yeah, somewhere kind of in the Midwest, maybe. That's a huge area mm -hmm. of the country. So and I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening with the accents in this episode? He, um, Samuel has already looked at all of the sons and that's the point where Connie jump scares him and she hasn't been present for the interviewing, right? Because yeah, she, she hasn't. She she's doesn't like, know. Mm -hmm. She's like, what's going on? And he like explains to her basically what he did looking at all of them and the Lord turning each of them down. And Connie is like, what? But they're all so big and tall and strong and handsome. <laughs> you know, all those very important kingly qualities. Mm -hmm. I think she's like quoting what is said about them in scripture that yeah. they're good looking or something. She is. So uh, they're sending for the youngest son. And Connie, I think, has talked to Samuel about David. She's like, I have this friend named David and I'm looking for him. He was about to get attacked by a lion last time I saw him. So Samuel is like supposed to be on the lookout and he's mm -hmm. like, oh, thank you for reminding me. Hey, Jesse. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy. He's about yay tall. Okay, that phrase, this was my first encounter with the phrase yay high. And like when I was little, I did not know what that meant. And when I, now when I listened to it, I was like, Jesse, how do you know how tall David is? That was my question, too. I guess Connie must have told him. Yeah, she must have indicated with her hand, I guess. As, as tall as a yay? As tall as one yay. One yay or two yay? Just about yay high. And uh, as he is describing David, I think he goes by like, he, he goes by the name of... And then David comes in and says, father. father. And Connie says, David. And Samuel says, Father, father David. David. I don't know why this is a comedy beat, but it is. And then Connie is super surprised and like, oh my gosh, David, you're alive. And he's like, yeah, God gave me the strength to take care of the lion. 
And meanwhile, Samuel's like, he's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, oh yeah, with no context, he's like, he is the one. And Connie is like, oh my gosh, are you serious? David, the one what? Like, he is definitely the one. You know, they keep the going on and on about it, about him being the one. He's like, well, the Lord told me. He is the one. He is? The, the one what? How do you know? God has spoken to me. The one what? Really? Yes, he told me, rise and anoint him. He is the one. The one what? The Lord God has chosen you to be the new king of Israel. He has? Yes. I was like, it's a very Eugene moment. When, yeah, when he says the one what, like the final time, it's totally Eugene voice. And that's what leads me to believe that this is just chill Eugene because he's... When he gets stressed, he sounds like Eugene. <laughs> we figured it out. If that's the thing that makes Eugene's voice sound like Eugene. It's the stress. It's the st- Eugene is just under constant stress. It's the stress of being Eugene, I think. That, that checks out. That poor boy. Oh, I love him so much. I'm so ready for him to be here. We're very close. Oh, we're so close. Um, and David pretty much accepts it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just to, to explain to you all briefly. The Lord's anointed one. And uh, the one to succeed Saul. And he anoints David right there. Yep. And that's our mid-episode break, yeah? Yeah, it is. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Neither of those were the sounds that happened. No. But Chris does tell us that we're coming right on back after this. And I guess we come back... Do we come back to the encampment? Yes, we come back to the encampment. And Wit is, like, here with Connie, which is a detail I never pictured as a kid, but I was forced to picture it. I wasn't picturing it up until that point. Right. Because so far, Wit's sort of been the disembodied narrator. And I mean, I guess it is implied because he doesn't take part in any of the conversations throughout the rest of the episode, but now it's as if he and Connie are together in the valley. And I guess Wit, at this point, just kind of lays out what is in the valley, He explains that the Philistine is camped on one side, the army of Israel on the other side, and that David is coming there to deliver... Is he there to deliver or receive a message from his brothers, No, I think he's there to, like, give them food and stuff, right? I know that Jesse was worried because he hadn't heard from them and they'd been gone a long time. Yeah, it was probably to, yeah, just to make contact, I suppose. I don't know which one it was. Connie also, while she's talking to Wit, is excited and points out to him that David was different after the anointing. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of a cool detail. It's kind of that brief, but uh, Wit says, like, well, like, that's what happens when God comes into your life in that way. God changes the course of your life. And I guess Connie saw that when she saw David be anointed. It's the Holy Spirit. It's pretty exciting. It's cool. It's kind of interesting to me that she pictured this in this storytelling. It's part of the magic of the invention. No, it's just a cool um, storytelling element. And it's like a step on Connie's journey. Yeah, just another example that she sees of someone who's been affected by God. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So David's brothers... Oh, David's brothers. ...are here, and uh, one of them is George Barkley. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of voice actor alerts... They, they're all complaining about uh, Goliath, and obviously. And they're mad that David's there. Yeah, they're, like, not pleased to see him. <laughs> Which is kind of, I mean, that's, like, in the original story, and it's kind of sad. Yeah. Connie, I think, says so much for brotherly love. Oh, that's sad, too. But yeah, David is just there, you know, trying to be a good brother, and his brothers are just, like, 
you again. And they describe this scene, like they, they just kind of like tell you like what's going on in this battle in this valley. And it's like the Philistines every day are sending out this guy and he's their champion and it makes all the Israelites afraid. And Connie is like, I don't see a guy. I just see a big bronze statue, statue. <laughs> which is cool. And at that moment, the statue, which is Goliath, starts cackling. Moves and Connie screams. It's so good. I loved Goliath's voice. I wrote down Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts at the, at the end of Prince's Ride, right? Yeah. Um, but he has he does such a good job. And as I was listening to Goliath taunting Israel partway through, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Tom. <laughs> because it's Tom Riley. VAA! Now that's a VAA. Three. Although, I mean, we do say it's not a VAA if it's an established character, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, what do we call that when it's like a, hey, look, this character is voicing somebody else? Hmm. It's like an inverse VAA. An AAV. (laughs) Actor alert voice. Uh, AV alternate voice? Alternate voice. It's just an AV. I did not pick up on that, so good on him. For doing such a different voice. This is the first time out of all the millions of times I've heard this episode, this is the first time that I've noticed that it was him. And I was not even sure until I looked it up online and I was like, wow. Yeah, so he he puts down the gauntlet and there was a point in the speech where I was like, oh no, David is gonna go. (laughs) (laughs) Despite knowing how it goes, there's like a moment. Where you're like, oh no, David has gotten riled. Yeah, David is not pleased to hear this. All of the taunting of Israel. Uh, that is happening. Yeah, well, and he's fine until Goliath mocks Israel's god, right. specifically. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's when David does the fight me. Yeah, he <laughs> hops up on a rock and is like, who does this guy think he is? And everybody is like, David, please. And he's like, will nobody fight him? Like, literally none of you? Okay, like, I'll oh, do it if nobody else will. It's like, who is he to defy the armies of the living god? Which I started keeping a tally of how many times he said that. <laughs> what, defy the armies of the living God? Yeah. Cool. How many times do you say it? Uh, at least five. <laughs> That's more than I expected. <laughs> but uh, s- soon enough, somebody arrives after everybody is trying to be like, David, please, David, stop. Uh, including Connie. And uh, somebody comes, though, and is like, hey, the king wants to see you. So off David goes to talk to Saul. Connie comes with him. And um, they're, she's still trying to talk him out of it. And what I wrote down about that is that some dude is like, his coat weighs at least 125 pounds. And then as the conversation goes on, and she's like, did you hear the guy? That coat is heavier than you are. <laughs> Connie. She's like, you can't face Goliath. His coat is heavier than you are. <laughs> uh, brave of you to assume, Connie. I, David is a little, little guy. Little as little as we are but maybe he's dense he's small but maybe he's dense i mean connie is thinking he's dense at this point right (laughs) how thick can you get how thick can you be saul is also voiced by walker edmiston who does tom riley i thought so and samuel and goliath yeah he's just everyone he's everyone he's everywhere and he's incredibly good and how does this scene basically play out He's just like, you know, if you do it, we'll exempt your family from taxes and, you know, good luck. Here's my armor. 
I think that's at Connie's suggestion. She's like, at least put something on. Yeah. And Saul's like, yeah, good idea. I just picture the scene of her trying to wrangle him into armor, like trying to put a cat into a tub. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go super well. And David is like, I can't wear this. I can't move in this. I feel like the portrayal of Saul in this scene is good in that you get the sense that he is not a good dude. Yeah. Like, not that he's, like, a villain per se, but just, like, I don't know, some something about his portrayal that is, like, there's a darkness to him. Yeah. Well, which is kind of cool. He does initially assume that David is not the person oh, who right. wanted to fight. He's yeah. like, good boy, go find, the, go find the man who said he was going to fight. David's like, no, no, it, it me. And then he's, like, thinking to himself, no, you can't. Uh-huh. But I have a feeling he's more worried about the threat. Right, and he's, yeah, he's willing to let this kid try. So then at that point, uh, if he won't accept the spear and he won't accept the sword that Saul has, and Connie is like, what are you going to do, throw rocks at him? (laughs) David is like, now that you mention it, (laughs) which is very funny. And then Connie is like, no, no, like, what have I done? Basically. He's like, I also have this sling. Yeah, that was funny too. She's like, you can't beat him with just a few sticks and a few rocks. And he's like, that's not all I have. And she's like, oh, good. And he's like, I also have this sling. And it's like the classic, <laughs> like, no, that's not what I meant. That's not better. That's not better, David. <laughs> and that's the point where Connie grumbles heroes to herself. That was, a, yeah, that was like a funny way to end the scene. She like rolls her eyes. Album title drop. <laughs> Heroes. That is the album title drop. This also has the interesting implication that Connie is, like, fed up with Heroes because she has encountered many of them and they are all like this. You know what I mean? Like, when you roll your eyes and mutter a word to yourself in that particular way, it's like, ugh, vampires. You know what I mean? <laughs> like are you if- saying someone has a long history of vampires? <laughs> I'm just saying if I met one vampire and then talked to them and then I was just like ugh vampires you would probably assume I had a lot of history and experience with vampires and I don't know why I picked something that isn't real (laughs) because this may be not a good example (laughs) but I couldn't think of anything (laughs) like literally nothing came to mind except vampires I just couldn't think of something to be annoyed with, you know what I mean? Sure. Being annoyed with vampires is very legitimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's a better example? Mm. I, I was gonna pick a profession, but then I was like, I don't want to disparage anybody. I know. My first thought was actors, but... Yeah. Well, maybe we can, because we both have acted before. <laughs> We've been actors. So we can razz our people. Oh, improv comedians. Ugh, doesn't improv doesn't quite roll. Podcasters. Ugh. <laughs> we found it. We found it. So in my example earlier, just imagine I said podcasters instead of vampires. And you see what I mean? It's like I have experience with podcasters. And that's why I'm fed up with them. So when David is off to do his hero thing and Connie is like heroes it's like what's your beef with heroes connie like who else have you known who's been a hero i guess wit sometimes i guess so i mean oh man maybe some kids this now i could very much imagine connie saying like many albums from now 
Yes. About all, like, a number of people who have thrown themselves into danger. Oh my gosh, so many people are going to do that throughout the rest of Odyssey. It's very funny to think about. This is a, this is a, um, premature sentiment for something which she will deal with Mm -hmm. on many an occasion. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so plot, though. Plot, though. David goes out to face off against Goliath. Mm Mm-hmm. And we know this scene. We love this scene. It's the scene where Goliath taunts him a bunch and David comes back with a really great speech. And this episode gives it such a good score. I really liked it. It's like, I don't know, did you like the scoring underneath this scene or did you think it was cheesy? I thought it was a little cheesy, but I mean, in a good Odyssey way. It, yeah. I think I have emotional attachment to it because of how early in childhood I listened to it. So it's like all of the emotional swell of the music is very effective on me. (laughs) You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And here's something that Odyssey doesn't censor. Yeah. Because <laughs> they tell you how Goliath dies. David runs at him and shoots him with the sling. The stone sinks into his forehead. He falls over and then David runs up and cuts his head off with his own sword. Yep. And Connie has the exact reaction you would expect, which is she starts to feel sick. Mm-hmm. She cheers and then she's like, oh gosh. <laughs> Once again, the visual component. Yeah. I can just assume that the sound effect of a head getting cut off was compelling enough to conjure a vision in her head. I mean, it was compelling to me as a kid. And it still is. It's kind of gross. It is gross. Cut that in. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. No, I won't, I won't make the audience listen to that. <laughs> and I guess that's where the adventure ends, and she takes the headphones off, and Wit is like, so... And Connie is like, what? Don't stop me there. Like, what happens next? And he's like, well, that's like as far as I have created the adventure to go so far. And if you want more, then yeah, pick it up in Samuel. You can read about it yourself if you don't want to wait. Mm-hmm. It's cute how much Connie is like eagerly excited for the rest of the story. And it's like, oh, Connie, this is tip of the iceberg as far as David goes. There is a lot with the David. Oh, so much. Also, it's a different experience reading it from the scriptures than it is listening to it in this augmented reality. What I wouldn't give for, like, a really, really well-made David series. Like, a TV series. Be Game of Thrones of the Bible. It would be the Game of Thrones of the Bible. The culture is ready for it. We can talk about that later. I kind of, this is, like, part of my final thoughts for this episode a little bit. Connie still has to clean up the room, and she's like, I have to go do this now. And Wit is like, you know what? Why don't you just take off home for the night, and you can do this tomorrow. And she's like, all right, I'm out of here. Super excited to get off early. You know, teenagers. (laughs) You know, work. You know. (laughs) Getting out of work early. It's great. Uh, She stops on her way out, though, and says, like, a very significant part of the episode. And I think... She says something to the effect of, like, hey, Wit, like, thanks for having me listen to that experience. I, like, it kind of makes me see this room in a different way. Yeah, that was really touching. That was so sweet. And that moment, I think the emotional weight of that moment flew past me as a kid. But yeah, that was touching, listening this time. 
Yeah, and the moment she's gone, Wit immediately praises God mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, that was also really sweet. And that's where the episode wraps, I mm-hmm. think. That is. That is the wrap. And I think, what does Chris have to say about it? Does she say... I, I literally don't remember what Chris's message is. I don't either. Sometimes Chris has a message that's very much, like, exactly what the episode says, and sometimes she's a little bit more general, like, Bible stories, guys. Go find them in the Bible and read them. I think that's what it was, like, in the Jonah story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Chris says something, but at this point I was too busy thinking about this episode. <laughs> to pay attention to Chris. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. I feel bad now. But not that bad, because I've got final thoughts. Unless you want to do discussion questions. Oh, right. Um, I didn't bring my phone, so I don't... I have them. Okay. I have them pulled up. Ha-ha! I feel like discussion questions are becoming, like, a fixture. Yeah. Now I'm always curious about them. It's hard to, like, not even... Hard to pass them them. up. Oh, I see bullet points. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Here's question one. Connie thought there were much better stories to tell than those in the Bible. Why do you think she believed that? Can I just first say, I thought it was going to say, what are some stories that you think Connie was gonna... <laughs> I was like, Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings, and, you know, all the blockbusters. All those, well, no, never mind. Hmm. I was going to say superhero movies, but they didn't exist. No, they didn't. But, well, neither did Lord of the Rings. But I'm just thinking of, like, what are the things that popped into my mind when Connie is like, don't do Bible stories do better stories. It's like, do Star Trek episodes. <laughs> no. But why, why, more to the point. Spy stories. Ooh. Fun. Just do Odyssey. <laughs> Odysseyception? <laughs> so, okay, but uh, the question really is, why do you think she believed that there are better stories? I think that there's this sort of cultural misconception that Bible stories are boring because, I don't know, they're old-timey, they're kind of well-trod. They, yeah, well-trod is a really good word for it. They're also, in Sunday school, kitted down. Yeah. So the notion that they're kiddish. Also kind of the notion that they're inscrutable because, I mean, they do come from a culture other than our own. And an ancient culture at that. It does take a lot of work to fully understand a lot of what's going on in the mm-hmm. scriptures. Mm-hmm. Which I think can be a major roadblock for a lot of people. Which is why we have translations that are putting it into more uh, common vernacular mm-hmm. that people would be familiar with. Makes it a little bit easier to digest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, uh-huh. the the whole Bible is not stories. That's true, too. There is, like, an entire chapter that is just descriptions of how to build a tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's have that imagination station adventure. <laughs> These are just building instructions. Get you some purple thread, some blue thread, and some red thread, and some gold thread. Twist them all together. Yes, twist them together. Make the pomegranates. <laughs> Get you that red leather stuff that's, like, intranslatable. <laughs> This is, you know what it makes me think of? Hmm. It makes me think of the, uh, what's that channel where he builds shelters? Oh, there's, like, prehistoric builders, like, on YouTube who will just, like, go out into the woods and make stuff out of just the things that they find using ancient techniques. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. like that, but building a tabernacle. But building a tab- oh, that would be kind of fun, actually, to watch, not to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and there's also, like, laws. 
Right. Lots of chapters of laws. Lots of laws. Some genealogies, lots of poetry. Yeah. And then there's letters also later on. Mm -hmm. Which Odyssey will dramatize some of. Yeah. (laughs) So, it's doable. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, um, the thing is that, like, I don't think Connie is, like, 100% wrong either. Not that, like, stories are better than Bible stories, but it's, like, a weird dichotomy. I don't know, to be like, all Bible stories are better than all other stories. You know what I mean? It's more like they're of a different genre. Mm-hmm. It's like there's the romance genre, there's the action-adventure genre, and then the Bible has its own genres and subgenres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like many different ones within it. Maybe it's just too reductive to say that all Bible stories are a monolith. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is true. And then there's something to be said, which is kind of, like, tapping into, like, what my overarching thoughts were about this episode, but just that, like, it is easier and more enjoyable to consume media, like, from one's own culture, you know? Yeah. And it might be more enjoyable because it is easier, because there's, like, less work that you have to do to be, like, well, not just to understand it, but to have the emotional connection and the emotional beats, Because there are things like, I mean, like in Western music and film score, like Mm -hmm. being raised in Western culture, we know what we're supposed to feel when we hear a minor chord. And you don't have to do any mental gymnastics. You just feel sad, you know? So I feel like there is something about that that is going on here also in terms of you have to do more work on the front end in order to feel the effects of biblical narrative In a lot of cases, like you have to do a lot of front end education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just there's a lot more work that has to go into it. And I feel like there's even nuance that is deliberate in biblical stories that Mm -hmm. is sort of a it's a cultural thing that we don't really have because we are more. uh, What is it? Literal? Literal. Yeah. I was going to say low context. Yeah, much lower context. Yeah. We're much lower context, which means like an apple is an apple. Yeah. Mm hmm. Whereas in <laughs> we biblical an apple, scripture, an apple. an apple is one thing one day when you read it, and an apple is a different thing another day when you read it. Mm-hmm. Or and it's like many things at the same time. Yeah. And you can also say, this apple I'm going to say is this for the purpose of like making this point, which is something that mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of scholars in the Bible do, like in the letters, mm-hmm. when they are quoting the ancient scriptures. It's this sort of tradition of people have taken the scriptures and said like, this feels like it represents this. Mm-hmm. And we think that we can make this apply here because, like, that the writing is designed to have that kind of work put into it. Mm-hmm. And to, yeah, to build on itself, like, the canon builds on itself over and over and over, like, many, many layers. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's like a very, very rich, deep book. And so. And sometimes it feels like we just don't have the tools to decipher it. Yeah, it takes, it's harder, and it takes more effort and more work, and those are, like, the two very different ends of the spectrum of why one might prefer, like, a Star Wars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Star Wars. I mean, I love Star Wars. But just either that you view the Bible as, like, too kiddish and too simple and boring, or you view it as, like, too inscrutable, too ancient and irrelevant to mm-hmm. our, like, current time. What's the next question? The next one is, why did God reject all of David's brothers? Are, are we told in the scriptures the reason? Uh, 
No, they think the reason we are told is that uh, human beings look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right. And we know that David is a man after God's heart. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say either like the brothers were just not men after God's own heart in the same way, or he passed them over just to get to David specifically. Yeah. Don't know. I think that's, yeah. At the end of the day, we just don't know. You know, why did God do what God did? (laughs) Just that simple question. I'm reading the book of Job right now, and that's kind of the overarching thing of that book. Why? Why did God do what God did? Let's argue about it for, like, 30 chapters. It's a really good book. I'm enjoying it, though. Um, Okay, finally is, why did David pick up five stones to fight Goliath? Is the number significant? Is it? This is a hard question, because there are follow-up questions. Do you want to know what the follow-ups are? Yeah, I want to know what the follow-ups are. The follow-ups are, why not one? Or two? Three? (laughs) Four? Um, well, I'm not 100% familiar with, uh, Hebrew numerology. Oh, you know what I just remembered, though? Because the David and Goliath story is, you know, is much talked about in sermons and things, like, throughout one's life. Yeah. Goliath has brothers. Oh. And I think there might be the consensus that David's getting one for each of Goliath's brothers, because he's gonna kill all of them. Wow. Alright, then. I think that that is the answer. I don't know. My question is, why would a kid know this? Yeah, that was the the immediate follow-up question in my mind also. <laughs> you can't expect a kid to know this. Kids gotta be reading their their book of Samuel. Because I feel like you could assume that he has five because he thinks he's going to miss. Yeah, that seems like the obvious answer. But I'm like, David is a, a man who has too much trust in God to think that the first one will not hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for something this important. I guess there is also maybe something to be said for the wisdom of being as prepared as you can be. True. I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, it's another one of those instances where the author tells you details for a reason and you just kind of have to look at the constellation of information you're given and try to connect the dots yourself. Because there are times in scripture where somebody will do something and it's like, that seems good. And then the prophet will be like, no, that was a bad thing to do to the king or like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, to me it seemed good. But then you kind of have to reverse engineer like, okay, so the state of their heart when they did that must not have been in the right place. Mm -hmm. And from that you can deduce what was going on. So I think the fact that we know David is a man after God's own heart and we know that he has tremendous faith in God to do this, like saving Israel. Mm -hmm. I think the notion that he didn't have faith is like, that doesn't fit the data. No, it doesn't. So, anywho. So you cannot assume that, audience. Do not. Or cannot. (laughs) But it is like, I mean, like as an honest reading of the text, it seems like the obvious answer would be, right? Mm -hmm. That is that for discussion questions. We have talked a lot about the thing that, like, occurred to me at the end, which is because of how Connie leaves the Bible room and just saying, like, it made me see this room in a new way. It just brought to mind how art and creativity are, like, ministry. Like, storytelling and art and music, like, Christian art and creativity and, like, all of that thing as being, like, evangelism, ministry, and telling of the gospel, even if it's not, like, 
let me give you a bullet point of Jesus Christ died for your sins kind of thing, but, like, yeah, I don't know. Do you know what I'm kind of saying? Yeah, I think I... Yeah. I think we may have already discussed the importance of making good art that is designed to minister to people. Maybe. Have we? I'm not sure if that was just a discussion we had separate from the podcast. Maybe. I know, because we are always talking about Odyssey. (laughs) And how Odyssey is, like a really great example of good art Mm -hmm. that was designed to minister to people. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, want more of it. (laughs) More, more. And also, like, I mean, this episode and Odyssey is also, like, it's very explicitly Christian. And I think that this notion, though, it also applies to art that is not, like, explicitly biblical, but something like... I mean, C.S. Lewis, I guess you could argue Narnia is, like, just barely less explicitly Christian (laughs) than Odyssey, but then you've even got things like Lord of the Rings, which was written by Tolkien, who is a Christian, and it's not got anything to do in the text with, like, there's no Aslan, who is, like, a Jesus equivalent, but it is written in such a way that, like, affirms the existence of good and evil, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's got a lot woven into it that are, like, Christian principles, and I think it's a story that is designed to inspire people and to give them hope, and I think that that's, like, a lot of what, like, I mean, the storytelling that attracts me, things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and, like, these high fantasy or, like, high drama, big epic stories, Uh is just, like, they broadly affirm really good things to affirm, which is that good will triumph over evil. Yeah. I feel like it's almost disappointing to me how few stories are designed like that these days because people think that it's an old, outdated concept that good triumphs over evil. And so a lot of modern storytelling, like for the sake of being quote-unquote realistic, Mm -hmm. has a lot of stories that end where there isn't a clear victory of good over evil or even good doesn't win in any regard. Mm-hmm. Or there isn't any good in the story to defeat the evil. Mm-hmm. Everything is just whatever it is. Yeah, and I wonder if those stories resonate the same, because I feel like as as much as one can roll one's eyes at, like, the good guy always winning, I think there's a reason the good guy always wins. <laughs> and I don't think that that reason is because we like to feel good. You know? Like, as much as we do like to feel good... I feel like it affirms a truth that we sort of subconsciously know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That good does triumph over evil. Yeah, and I I agree, and I think that that's why that resonates with people, even if they don't know anything about the Bible or believe in God. I think there's just, there are reasons why certain narratives resonate with us, and I think it's because they reflect the true narrative of history and reality. And I reject the idea that it's a naive position to believe that we are trending towards good things, towards God's kingdom, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In line with um, something you said earlier also about translation, it made me think also like that, you know, when we read the Bible, we are not reading the words that were written by the original authors. We are reading translations of that. And then I think telling stories and adapting the Bible the way that Odyssey is doing, it's like an extension of that. Not to say that Odyssey is scripture. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, these things, like, translating the Bible into many different forms, including, like, dramatic adaptations, I think it is, it's doing a similar work. And clearly it does something similar in Connie's life. 
Mm-hmm. And I think things like Adventures in Odyssey and like many other really good works of creative fiction or like learning materials, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I'm thinking of the Bible Project, always plugging. Always. <laughs> like those tools are, you know, they're translating scripture into forms that people, it makes the Bible more accessible, I That's think. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Creates new avenues through which people can reach scripture. Right. Because Connie says at the end, she's like, maybe I will check out that book of Samuel, you know? She does it in that very teenage, like, oh, maybe I'll check it out kind of thing. Like, maybe I'll do it. Maybe. <laughs> Not she's knitting. She's definitely gonna do it, though. <laughs> that is the end of my final thoughts. Our next episode is called A Single Vote. We hope that you join us for that pod venture. If you have any final thoughts about anything we've talked about today, um, please send us an email at podventuresinodyssey at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for joining us on today's Podventure in Odyssey. Catch you later, Cat's Paws. Bye! of Israel surged forward with a great shout and chased the Philistines back to their own land. It was one of the greatest victories in the history of Israel, thanks to a young shepherd who trusted with all his heart in the Lord.